be reading Philippians 4, verse 10, through the end of the book. Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are the, the one who provides everything that we need. And right now, Father, we need your spirit to have open ears and soft hearts to receive your word. I need your spirit to be able to speak clearly and boldly with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power to exalt Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we pray that you would provide these things in Christ Jesus to us even now. Help us to glorify you as we sit under your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout this letter to the Philippians, we have been treated to much wonderful teaching about how to find joy in Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of this letter, we get an indication, actually, of what Paul's original intent was for sending this letter to the church in Philippi. This was a thank you note, uh, thanking the church for their generous gift in supporting Paul's ministry, which they sent by the hand of Epaphroditus. And Paul has... throughout Scripture, actually held up uh, the Philippian church as exemplary in their spiritual gift of giving, um, in in the the act of giving. In uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, he said that they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then out of their love for the Lord and a desire to see his kingdom advance, they then gave themselves sacrificially to the work of giving, Um, and supporting Paul's ministry. Paul said that they gave out of their extreme poverty. Uh, They gave beyond their needs, or beyond their means, and and it overflowed into great joy, uh, this act of giving. And so now he's thanking them for the gift that has most recently come by Epaphroditus. But for Paul to write a thank you note in this particular culture was actually somewhat of a challenge, a bit of a high-wire balancing act. Um, The culture in which Paul and the Philippians 
lived was influenced by Aristotle. And Aristotle talked about, uh, part of his teaching had to do with different types of friendship qualities. He said that there were three types of friendships. There was the good, the pleasant, and the useful. And the good was the highest form of friendship. It was almost an ideal to be aspired to. And the most common was the useful, um, where almost all people engaged in this type of friend, where it was to mutual advantage um, in the giving and and receiving of of help. Um, And so Paul needed to be very careful and how he communicated his thanks, that he didn't somehow diminish the friendship of the Philippians to indicate that it was a useful friendship, that they were of mutual um, advantage to one another, that he wanted to elevate their friendship as though it was was very good. It was of the highest order because it was rooted in their love for Christ and the fellowship they had in him. Um, But also he had to be careful because he didn't want to indicate that in some form or fashion, their gift was insufficient or that he was asking for more money um, or more support. Uh, Just the very nature of the giving and receiving culture of the day, the mere act of saying thank you after receiving a gift could cause the giver to feel compelled or have a sense of obligation to give even more. And so Paul had to navigate these things carefully. And of course, on top of all that, kind of conditioning and instructing all of his thoughts and his words was his Godward focus, his Christ-centered lens through which he saw everything in his ministry and everything that he taught. And and even in this uh, aspect of the giving and receiving of gifts. And all that Godward, Christ-centered focus drove him to this singular point, is that God himself is the one who supplies all of our needs in Jesus Christ. And as he kind of unpacks that, there's kind of three important points that he uh, speaks of that, that provision of, of the Lord. And the first is that God provides through his people, uh, much as he does for much of his work, in, in the church today, God works through his people. So, secondly, even though it is God who is doing the providing through his people, God credits or rewards the, the giver through whom he gives. And third, because it is God who is promised to give and his promises are rooted in Christ Jesus and the surety of his love for us, God grants contentment to the one who receives. And all these things kind of come come together for us to hear that we, as children of the living God, need to learn contentment in Christ Jesus because God promises to supply every need in Christ Jesus. So let's look at those three different aspects of God's provision. The first being that God provides through his people, okay? So Paul had, in this passage, he he makes very clear that he has everything that he needs. Verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. I'm not speaking of being in need. Uh, Later he says um, in, in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. God has given him everything 
that he needs. And that gift has come from the Philippians by the hand of Epaphroditus. He says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And those gifts, even though they're, they, God provides through his people, God chooses through whom he is going to provide gifts. He chooses it. And we know this because Paul indicates to the Philippians that they know that they're the only ones that have provided support for his ministry. He says in verse 15, You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Philippi and Thessalonica were both in Macedonia. And what Paul is indicating is, hey, you, you remember when I left Philippi and went to Thessalonica and then I left Macedonia and Berea and Corinth to the south. When I did that, you were the only ones that supported me. You, you know that. And then he, then he backtracks. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, which was also in Macedonia, and that Thessalonica is about 100 miles southwest of Philippi. It'd be kind of like driving from here to Granbury, Texas, about that distance. And he's saying, even when close proximity, even when I just left, you were supporting me there. So it wasn't all the churches that were supporting Paul. God had laid it on the heart of the Philippian church. He had cultivated a concern for Paul. You see what he says in verse 10. He says, uh, I rejoice greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Or he uses a language almost like a flower is like blooming, like the, your, your concern has bloomed yet again. But they'd always had this concern. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Which is interesting because not only has God chosen through whom he's going to provide, but he's also choosing when he's going to provide. The Philippians wanted, they, they loved Paul, and they, they wanted to support him, but they had no opportunity. God had not provided that opportunity, but now God had provided the opportunity. And so Paul rejoiced greatly. And it's interesting because Paul will later talk about contentment and how he has been brought low, and he's learned to abound and he's already immediately kind of giving hints that God is the one who is bringing that, that school of contentment about through his sovereign providence through the church. And beloved, we, we, um, we will support certain ministries, certain missionaries, but we won't support everyone. God will lay on our hearts to do that that gift, the ministry of giving to support these ministries. And that's God working through us to support these missionaries. And there will be times where he provides opportunities and times that he does not. And that is all part of God's sovereign and wise plan, which are sometimes even greater than ensuring that there is always abundance, that there is always plenty. And God has something fuller in mind than that. So God is the one who provides, but secondly, even though God provides, he credits, he rewards the one through whom he gifts, or he, he gives the gifts. 
Paul had said elsewhere that the, the Philippians had this great joy in this act of giving. And we know that Paul and the Philippians already enjoyed sweet affections for one another. We, we had heard this all throughout the, the book. You might remember back in chapter 1, Paul was saying that you know, he has this deep affection for them. With the, he yearns for them with the affections of Christ. Part of that is the, the fruit of their care and their concern that was cultivated through their love for him and their, their sacrificial giving for him. Um, they cared about him with this concern, which was about his welfare, but also his material needs. And he responded with his care and concern, you know, shepherding them, caring for them, writing this pastoral letter to them. Um, they prayed for him, and he was praying for them that they might understand the, the riches of Christ that they, they had. And there was, this, there was already fruitfulness and joy in their relationship. And yet, Paul seems to be speaking about something that is even beyond that, uh, something remarkable. Uh, he says it in verse 17. He says, um, I have all my needs, but not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And Paul's actually using um, financial language there. And maybe a better translation would be, I seek the interest that increases to your credit. He, he's indicating that by this gift that the Philippians gave, they were storing up treasures in heaven. This was, a, uh, this was sacrificial giving to the Lord. He says it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Uh, earlier when we heard about Epaphroditus, Paul talked about Epaphroditus as though he was like a priest offering their offering. He was the one that, that carried the gift. And now he's saying, yes, yes, this is a, this is a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. And it's through that they have, they have stored up their treasure in heaven and God pays interest. He said, Paul says, I, I am seeking interest that, 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 that increases to your credit. What you need to know brothers and sisters, is that when we, when we support the work of the kingdom, whether it's the work here at Zion or missionary work or other church plants or RUF campus ministries or whatever, God considers us co-laborers in those ministries. And, the, and as such, God credits to the co-laborers the work that is done through that ministry. So when Paul says, I'm seeking interest according to your gift, what he's saying is, I am pressing on and laboring for the sake of the gospel so that you get credit, you get interest on your investment in the heavenly, your heavenly account. Beloved, you and I have those, if we're in Christ Jesus, we have a heavenly account that is backed by something far greater than the FDIC. It is backed by the surety of God's promises and the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. And God promises that we will enjoy the fruit of that investment in Christ Jesus for all eternity. And what an encouragement that is to give of our 
ourselves, to give of our, our energy, our finances, our, our labors, our gifts, that the fruit, the, the generational fruit that comes from our faithful service, simply doing what God calls us to do, God credits our account with interest over and over and over again. When we sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, beloved, we lose nothing. We lose nothing. There is a, there's a proverb that says, uh, who, or maybe it's a psalm, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. He will repay him for what he has done. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and God will repay him. That's even more true for the work of the kingdom, beloved. God grants interest to our account. But the third thing that we need to understand is this wonderful concept of contentment in Christ Jesus. That because God is the one who is working through these things and he's promised to provide, he grants contentment to you and to me in Christ Jesus. Now, you might remember that last week we covered the first part of Philippians chapter 4, and that's where Paul talks about anxiety. And he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we are a very anxious people. And a lot of, I don't need to tell you that much of our anxiety has to do with being, having the things that we need and being provided with the things that we need. And, and Jesus hit on that as well. He said, do not be anxious about what you will wear, about what you will eat. For your Father knows that you need these things. Your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's an act of faith to trust that God will provide everything that we need and to not be anxious and yet we are, we, are, we are flooded with messages of anxiety. Like you turn on the news, you turn on the weather, you know, hear the you know, severe storm warning, you, you look at the stock market, or, you know, financial picture, it is, we, we are delivered a daily dose of anxiety. And in the midst of all that, God says, your father knows what you need. Your father knows what you need. And so a heart that trusts, a heart of faith trusts that God knows and that God will provide what we need. But it's something that has to be learned. Um, see what Paul says in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's a, it, Contentment, true contentment, is not natural. It has to be learned through the peaks of plenty and the wilderness of want as God's faithfulness is demonstrated over and over and over. And Paul says that very thing. He says, I, I, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm sure you're familiar with that passage. Has it ever shocked you that he says we had to learn contentment in plenty or in abundance? I think as 21st century Americans, we have no problem with the, the, the want and the hunger, but to be content in abundance and plenty, that should be easy, right? I think the reality is, beloved, plenty and abundance can cause just as much anxiety as hunger and want. Our contentment doesn't come in our circumstances. It's not in the things that we have. The, the more we have, the more concerns there are, the more responsibility there is to be faithful with the things that we've been given. And all that is anxiety-driven. You know, the more we're afraid we're going to lose that which we have when we try to grab hold of what we have. But we need to learn contentment. And there's a particular brand of contentment, too, because it's hard for us on this side of history to understand what Paul's actually getting at. But that word contentment, uh, he's, he's appropriating that. He's stealing that from the Stoic philosophers of the day. So sto- Stoic philosophy held this word as contentment as like their highest ideal. And by what they meant by contentment was it was a... Um, uh, to, to, to live above our need and abundance in such a way that we're not affected, in such a way that there's distress if we have nothing or, or, or little, and we're not at peace when we have plenty. So it's to, an emotional detachment um, from our circumstances to say, you know, I'm going to always be at peace. I'm, I'm always content, whatever the circumstance. Uh, the The... Stoic philosopher Seneca said that the the happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. One would seek to be independent in the sense of being detached from their circumstances and happy regardless of what was going on. But it resulted in no fear, but also no joy. And what Paul does here is he, he takes that concept of contentment and he turns it on his head because Stoic philosophy said our sufficiency is in ourselves. It's, a, a, it's promoting my reason over my emotion and just living within my means. Paul says, no, our sufficiency is not in ourselves. Our sufficiency is in Christ. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me my contentment is rooted not in my ability to detach, but my willing to engage with the God who's engaged with me and to rest in his loving care. We have to make sure we are careful with that verse. Some people call this the Superman verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, as though it's like, you know, in Christ Jesus, I can, you know, I can be as strong as Samson. I can do whatever I want. That's not what Paul's saying at all. His, his point is having to do with contentment whatever our circumstances. A more helpful way of interpreting that is I can endure all circumstances and all things, whether plenty or want, through Christ who gives me the strength to do that, that rooted in the love of Christ. 
in, in the love of our God. Um, and for Paul's, Paul's point is that because, because his contentment is in Christ Jesus, he's not dependent upon the Philippians, nor are they dependent on him. The, the Philippians are giving this sacrifice, sacrifice to the Lord, regardless of how Paul handles it. And Paul is trusting in God's provision. And yet there is a rejoicing because God has worked through them and is knitting them together in their mutual love for Christ. And so he rejoices that they are part of this work that is causing him to abound. Beloved, have you learned that type of contentment? A contentment that is not not based on our circumstances, because that's no contentment at all, and not based upon some inner strength, inner self-sufficiency, but a contentment that flows out of a, a deep and abiding rest on the surety of God's promises to us in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ that we have the strength to endure these circumstances, because it's in Jesus Christ that we know that God is our Father. And it's in Jesus Christ that we have been promised every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And it's in Jesus Christ, the one who was rich but became poor for our sake so that we could have the riches of abundance for all eternity, that we have this strength. Beloved, our God is good and he's loving, and he's lavish. He's lavish with his gifts. He doesn't, he's not stingy. He gives us more. Paul says, I, I have received full payment and more. And, he, and that's how he encourages the Philippians. He says, you know, look at me. He's always put himself up as an example. He says, look at me, and look at how God has provided for me, and I have learned contentment. He says, you guys, learn contentment and root your confidence in the, in the goodness of God. And he says, he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to what? The riches, to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Beloved, you got to let that sink in. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There's nothing greater than that. There's, there, there's nothing more complete. There's nothing more rich. And God has promised to give you everything that you need in Christ Jesus. True riches. That is a promise worth trusting. And beloved, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as the means by which God blesses you with his eternal riches. He offers you Christ free of charge. That's why Jesus came to, so that we might be granted adoption, so that we might be called sons of God, so that we might be the ones who can cry out and, and have a father who knows everything that we need and will provide everything that we need and who will calm and quiet our hearts like a, like a weaned child with his mother, the psalmist says. Calm the quiet in my heart before you, resting in your tender care. My beloved, uh, 
what we need is not necessarily what we want. But that's a, and God, and we want that verse to say, my God will supply every want, every desire of yours according to his riches. But actually we have something far better because our God is infinitely wise and infinitely good and very often our wants and our desires are not what we need and not what is best for us. And just to illustrate that, I'll conclude with this, this uh, story about a man named Harry Ironside who was a pastor in the first half of the 19th century. Um, and he told the story about an incident that happened early in his ministry in the year 1900. Um, he lived in Oakland, California, and he had gone down to Southern California for some kind of evangelistic mission. He was preaching, sharing the gospel, and he was there with his wife. And they were there for a few weeks, and when they were done, it was time for them to return back to Oakland. But he felt this strong impulse, which he thought was the Lord's moving, for him to stop along the way in Fresno, California. And um, when they got to Fresno, you know, he told his wife he was going to get off there, and he was sending her back home. And he gave to her almost all the money that he had with him, um, with, and all except for one dollar. And he gave it to her, and she left. And you know, one dollar in 1900 was still not a lot, uh, as you can imagine. And the internet says that's about 38 dollars in today's today's money. And not a whole lot you can do with $38 or $1 at the day. Um, he, need, he didn't have a place to stay. He had no paid preaching um, engagements. Um, there were no ATMs, no credit cards, anything like that. He was, he was going to live off of his $1. And he managed to find a hotel that charged only 25 cents a night, which even back then was, that's, that's a, a very low price for a hotel. But off, even off of 25 cents a night and very meager rations each day, uh, he quickly ran out of money. And um, he had to check out of the hotel, and he went to the drugstore in town, and he said, can I, can I leave my bags here until I have a place to stay? And the guy at the drugstore said, sure. And uh, after doing some stuff around town uh, that night, uh, Ironside went to, he, there was a rail yard in town, and so he went to the rail yard, and he found an abandoned rail car and he was going to sleep there for the night. But he, he couldn't sleep, um, probably for a bunch of different reasons. One was it was really cold uh, that evening, uh, very cold. Uh, the, the benches were very hard. Um, he, was, he was hungry. He had, he had literally had eaten, he said, five cents worth of food that day. Uh, but he was, he was also very bitter, very angry. Um, he tried to pray. Uh, but he, he said he wasn't in a praying mood. And uh, what came to his mind was Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But rather than giving him comfort and peace, he raged against it. He said, well, why, why isn't he doing that? God has promised. He's not fulfilling his word. And he stayed there for a little while longer, and about four o'clock in the morning, he couldn't, he just said, I'm, I'm not sleeping, I'm just, I'm just going to walk. 
And so he got up and he walked and he ended up going back into town and outside the courtyard or courthouse there was a, a large weeping willow tree where the branches were almost down to the ground and he discovered he could sneak under there and um, there was there was a kind of leafy floor. So he's like, well, maybe actually I can get some sleep. And so he laid down and he slept there, kind of concealed from other people by this tree and he slept for about two hours. And when he woke up, the Lord brought to his mind some deficiencies in his own heart, uh, things that uh, he had been kind of lax with. And so he began to confess his lack of faith in the Lord, his, his self-will. And uh, as tends to be the case, if, when we get into a confessing mood and the Lord is moving in our hearts, more things kind of came to his, his mind that he needed to confess. And so he just kept confessing and confessing uh, to the point where he stopped being angry about God's lack of provision in his life. And he started being amazed that God had been so kind and generous to him in the midst of his hardness of heart. And he uh, ended up leaving um, there and he was he was scheduled to teach a Sunday school class that morning. It was the Lord's Day. And so he went and he taught the Sunday school class. And while he was teaching the Sunday school class, he looked out and to his surprise, there was a man who had been one of his Sunday school teachers many years before who was from Los Angeles who happened to be sitting there. And after the Sunday school class, the man came up to him and he said, he said, hey, it's so good to see you. You know, can I buy you lunch? Like, can we go out to lunch? You know, and of course, Ironside hadn't eaten a substantial meal in, in many days, and so he gladly took it up, and they had a sweet time of fellowship. And after lunch, they came back. There was some kind of afternoon meeting at the church, and I think Ironside was teaching there, and he's teaching that. And, and after that, that afternoon meeting was complete, uh, a young doctor came up to him, and he said, he said, uh, brother, where, where, what hotel are you staying at? And Ironside was too proud to say that he wasn't staying anywhere. So he just kind of indicated the, the part of town where the hotel was that he had been staying in. And the man said, well, would you, would you be willing to spend the night at my house? Because, um, you know, I've been very lonely and I've been really yearning for good Christian fellowship. And I would be honored to be your host tonight. He's like, I'll, I'll even help you go get your bags from the hotel. <laughs> I said, no, I'll get my bags. Um, and so there he had a place to stay. And then that evening, he was scheduled to preach in their evening service. And following the worship service, for no particular reason whatsoever, he hadn't said anything about his financial situation. He hadn't asked for any money or anything like that. Immediately following the worship service, all of a sudden, all sorts of brothers and sisters started crowding around him and started putting dollar bills into his hand. To the point that when it was all said and done, he counted the money and he had $27, which was enough money to send home to his wife for some needs, but also enough money to, for the return trip home. And so when he was done in Fresno, he made it back to Oakland and he went and he, the last thing that really got him was he went and he got the mail and there was a letter from his stepfather and his stepfather had this way of folding papers in envelopes in such a way that like it was, he felt like it was backwards. And as he was pulling the paper out of the envelope, he saw this postscript at the end of the letter. And the postscript said this from his father-in-law, or his stepfather. It said, P.S. God spoke to me through Philippians 4.19 today. 
He has promised to supply all of our need. Someday, he may see that I need a starving. And if he does, he will supply that. And Ironside said, oh, how real it all seemed to me. Then I saw that God had been putting me through that test in order to bring me closer to himself and to bring me face to face with things that I had been neglecting. And brothers and sisters, my God will supply every one of your needs out of his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will do it, and his wisdom is far more than you can even rationally comprehend. His purposes and plans are greater than all that you can ask and imagine. He will do it because he has promised, and he loves you, and he is faithful in Christ Jesus. Beloved, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you love us, your children, and forgive us for our doubt and our worry and our anxiety and our faithlessness. Oh, Lord, thank you that you speak to us again and again and you encourage us through your word. Help us to, to walk with faith, trusting in your goodness in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.